Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Molly DeVos. And today's topic is inspired by someone who reached out to me asking about training a new cat. They were about to get their first cat and had questions about selecting a cat or training a cat for certain behaviors like calm and cuddly. So, before we jump into answering those questions and more about getting a new cat, today I'm excited to have my mom visiting as my co-host, Toby DeBoe. Hi, Molly, and hi, everybody else. It's really fun to be here today. Um, this is a fun topic because, uh, you know, picking a new cat or any new pet can be tricky. So I'm excited to hear what Molly has to say. Yeah. And we just picked a new pet. So it's good timing. Yeah. And he's adorable. He is. She is. Molly will probably mention him again. Again. So listen for the name Pico. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Okay. Now, this person that called you, Molly, did she give you any specific information about what they're looking for in a cat? Yeah, but, um, you know, I I, I think that I, I want to commend her first for being so responsible to actually research ahead of time, you know, and, and to make sure that their expectations are, are set. Not many people you know, take the time to do the research and ask the right questions before they get a new animal. And um, and I'm just, I'm really grateful that she's done that and given me the opportunity to help her and inform her on on this topic. And, you know, the, the biggest thing um, about, about a new cat owner, especially with someone with dogs, they always think cats are dogs. And even if people don't have dogs, they tend to, as Jackson Galaxy says, they see cats through dog-colored glasses. And, mm-hmm. and that's true. They expect cats to act like dogs. And in this particular case, what she said she wanted is a cat that is, quote, naturally inclined to being calm and wanted to be nurtured and cuddled. Oh, wow. Well, that would sound like a good cat. Uh, mm-hmm. But what is what is their home environment like? Did she tell you? Yeah, and that's a good question. And that was also the first thing I asked her. And she said um, they had three small dogs, and they're a larger family with a very busy schedule. And she said she had younger children. So she described her house as, as having a, a louder environment. Oh, wow. Well, do you think that's asking a lot of a cat to be calm and cuddly? in that kind of chaotic setting? Well, it depends on the cat. You know, certainly that's not in a cat's nature. Cats, you know, cats prefer things to be very calm, you know, but a, a kitten would grow up in, in that environment and get used to the sounds and the schedule and evolve into a cat that's chill in, in that environment where another cat might be fearful in it. And so, so much depends 
on a kitten's developmental window and what was happening in that kitten's environment and life during that time. And that's a real short period of time. It's much shorter than with puppies. So kittens have a three to about seven week time frame in their lives where they they developed, you know, mentally and psychologically and emotionally. And so, for instance, if if a kitten came from a foster home where it's, you know, just one woman living alone and it's very quiet and, you know, she's raising this kitten by them by herself, then when that kitten gets in into an environment where there's dogs and there's kids and there's men and there's things they haven't been exposed to, they could have, you know, some some dislike and some fear reactions, you know, to that. So You know, some rescues will have cats and kittens in foster homes that have similar settings. And, you know, she could reach out to them and describe what type of environment, you know, the cat would need to be comfortable in. But, you know, in this case, it's possible to get an adult cat that is comfortable in a loud setting environment. It's absolutely possible. Um, you know, but a kitten certainly would provide an option to grow in that environment and and learn to be in that environment. And I, and I also don't recommend, you know, we say kittens developmental window is three to seven weeks. So a lot of people go, well, I want to get a three week old kitten. But the problem with that is they're not weaned yet. So, you know, fostering is a, is a great option there. You can foster a nursing mom and get pick of the litter and you're there in your environment and then you know when the kittens are weaned then it's time for them to go to adoption you know you get your spayed and neutered and keep it and the others go out to be adopted so that's also an an option for her hmm. yeah the little tiny ones they are so adorable but you're right you got to make sure they're weaned <laughs> they can mm-hmm. eat on their own mm-hmm. and, you know in previous podcast molly you know, you've described cats as being really homebodies who really want predictable environments. And it sounds as though this just might be a little chaotic for any cat. Well, true. Cats are typically very zen creatures, you know, and and that does come from routine and predictability because, you know, they're both predator and prey. So they are much more secure and confident in an environment that they know what's going to happen next. But they can learn to adapt to a variety of settings. And, you know, another important thing to understand about cats, you know, never having uh, had one of those species in your home, you need to understand that cats are very different from dogs. Cats still have a 96% DNA link to their wildcat ancestors. So, you know, that they're very different. It's like having a little wild animal in your home. Cats have been domesticated for a far shorter time than than dogs, you know. Um, in, in fact, there's some argument of whether cats are domesticated at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of my last episodes was, are cats really domesticated? And why is that important that you understand that? So you understand how they think. Um, you know, and dogs are bred for behaviors. Dogs are, certain dog breeds are known to be, you know, more hyper, like a, you know, a, a rat terrier. And I don't know a lot about dogs, so I'm just throwing stuff out there. <laughs> or, you know, golden retrievers are pretty high energy and like everybody. But they, you know, they have personalities. They're bred for their personality and behavior where cats are not. Cats are only bred for 
for aesthetics. You know, we breed Siamese and we breed Persians and Bengals and Savannas and things like that. And it and it's for for aesthetics. It's not necessarily for behavior. And another real important thing to understand, and probably the most important thing to understand in the differences between dogs and cats, is that. Cats have evolved as a solitary species. So a cat in the wild will carve out about a six city block area and live alone. You know, it doesn't have guests over. They're not buddies. They don't pack together. They, you know, it's not like, I know we all watch National Geographic and we see the lion prides and we think, oh, that's what our cats probably did in the wild. Well, not this particular lineage of cats. They're very, very solitary. They only come together for, for mating. And they kick their kittens out when the kittens are about five months old to go establish their own territories. So what that means is they have no social hierarchy. Where dogs are, you know, they're, they're, even though they're not technically pack animals, they have a social hierarchy because they live together in groups. And it's very important to a dog what everybody's ranking is in, in the home environment. You know, you'll have an alpha dog and you'll have, you know, and all dogs see us as pack leaders. So dogs are motivated to make us happy, whereas cats don't have that social hierarchy. So they could care less whether you're happy. You know, they're really much more selfish, I guess is probably the right word, much more selfish in in their needs. You know, as long as their needs are being met, then, you know, they're they're happy and calm and confident. If their needs aren't being met, then that's when you start having some behavior problems. Mm -hmm. You said cats are very zen creatures. I can just picture them sitting cross-legged and going, um, on a regular basis. (laughs) Not, absolutely not. (laughs) Well, another thing that occurs to me, Molly, is there a difference between male and female cats when it comes to temperament? Can you generalize that or not? Well, I have a particular preference for orange male cats. So, you know, somewhat anecdotally, because there hasn't been a lot of scientific research in this area at all for cats, but it seems that the orange color tends to be a little more laid back than some of the other colors of cats. Um, you know, I do think getting a domestic short hair, which you'll see on cats things, this says DSH, that's, that's the cat version of mutt. So it's not a purebred cat, it's a domestic short hair. I do think getting a mutt cat is probably better than a purebred. I mean, purebred cats, you can get something absolutely gorgeous, and there's some wonderful ones out there. But you can also, just like with purebred anything, have some more health issues down the line. I've I've always had shelter cats and and domestic short hair cats. So, but I find that the males are also a little more, I don't know, maybe laid back is the right word also, but, you know, not quite as, as, uh, high strung as the females the females can tend to be and i'm speaking in generalities here i don't want to get 100 emails tomorrow saying i got a female couch she's the most laid-back thing i ever saw because of course these are just generalities (laughs) but you know for me 
I always recommend orange males for people who want, you know, kind of that old yeller kind of dog cat. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of difference. And it definitely does not necessarily make a difference when it comes to getting multiple cats. You know, I hear in the shelter a lot, people say, well, I'm looking for a female. And I say, well, why are you looking for a female? And it's either because, well, because the males spray or because I have a, a female at home and I think she'll be threatened by a male. And, and neither one of those things are necessarily true. Because once a cat is neutered, it's not you're not going to have to worry about it spraying and marking its territory, especially if it's been neutered young, you know, as as a kitten. Now, if a if you get a tomcat that you know is four years old and he's been on the streets and he's not neutered that whole time and he's spraying to mark his territory, you know, he might continue to spray after you get him neutered. But um, female cats mark their territory just like male cats. I mean, I've had probably more inappropriate urination and spraying cases for female cats than I have males. So that could go either way. And, you know, all cats are going to be threatened by a cat you bring home, whether it's a boy or a girl, just because they, again, they're solitary creatures and they see another cat as a potential territory invader. They actually get along with dogs much better than they do other cats, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. So, yeah. So I think either way. I think that's an interesting observation that they, maybe they're more like people. If they find some kind of non-threatening thing in a dog that they can relate to anyway. Yeah, as long as the dog's not real big, you know, it it can also see the dog as a potential predator. If you've got, now have a case right now where there's a 70-pound dog and the cat keeps just, completely going ballistic on the dog and dangerously attacking this poor dog (laughs) because obviously it's triggering some sort of trauma memory or it you know it sees the dog as a as a threat clearly well molly let's move on you know when you got this call from this person um i understand that she asked you if there were places you can send cats for training is there a boot camp for cats like there is for dogs and would that and if there was would that be something that you might want to do um i i would love to do something like that but it's it's kind of unrealistic you know like people say well my cat's peeing on things can i just send him to you to fix it you know <laughs> because cats are very secure homebodies they like to be in their homes they're not adventurous like dogs so if i were to take your cat out of your home setting and you know put it in my setting it's going to be freaked out and behave differently and then they're going to have that same transition when they when they come back but but in this case you know my first question to her was you know i haven't had never been asked that before so you know what types of training are you looking for and i you know i think maybe she was thinking like like dogs you know you you go to petco or you can send your dogs to a dog trainer and it's like more like an obedience school they learn to come sit you know heal stay all of that and and yeah i can train that we do all the time we clicker train cats to do all kinds of things both in the shelter and and in homes and that can be taught in a in a foster home and it could be taught with your cat at home but I think it's better rather than me taking your cat and, and trying to teach it, you know, clicker train it some behaviors and then deliver it back and go, watch this, you know, it comes like Pico, come, Pico, sit, Pico, sit up, you know, all that stuff. Um, to me, I think it's better to teach the people 
to do the training. You know, it's like that old adage, do you give a man a fish or do you teach him to fish? You know, because it allows them to continue that training in the home throughout that cat's whole life. You know, I trained Tabasco new things up until the day he died. You know, that you can you can all you can always train an old cat new tricks. Mm-hmm. But you know, if I were fostering a cat that I thought would be right for their home environment and setting, I would, you know, I could train specific behaviors, you know, while that cat was, while I'm fostering them, whether it be a kitten or an adult cat, and then and then send them home. But um, in, in the end, I think in this case, if there's something specific that they want the cat to learn, you know, we can talk about that and I can teach them either by coming to their home and teaching them in person or we can do a, you know, Zoom session or something like that and teach them how to train the cats themselves. Mm. Have they found, Molly, that um, when a cat is trained, in other words, where it it knows what you want it to do at specific times, that this can affect their overall um, behavior and demeanor? It's kind of like dogs with jobs, you know. The cat doesn't have a job, but he knows what's expected of him at certain times. Well, when you train a cat, it, it does a lot of things, especially when you're clicker training a cat. It it helps them to trust you. Mm. It's great burning off of mental, you know, energy for them because it's it's problem solving and um and they like it. And in the end they think they've trained you. And cats really like to have control. That's why they like their environment predictable. They want to have control over their environment. They don't like things that are unpredictable. And so when it comes to training, they're like, hey, watch. If I sit up, she'll give me a treat, you know. So they <laughs> they really think they've trained you in the end. But it it's a great interactive um you know, uh, time with your animal and it it builds bonds and trust. And it's just, it's probably one of the better things you can do with your cat. Mm, That sounds great. Um, Okay. Let's say they, they get a new cat or a kitten and it isn't what they expected it to be. It's not behaving that way. Now they've got these three dogs. So I'm sure that they're familiar with using punishment to get the dogs to do what they want. And do those same techniques work with cats? No, absolutely not. So, and, and this is an area where it's a real challenge to get people educated on cats, you know, especially for first-time cat owners, uh, you know, dog owners, first-time cat dog owners. <laughs> and, um you know, people tend to see cats as dogs, and they're very different in both the way they're trained, as we talked about, and the way that their behaviors are modified. So because of that, you know, no social structure in in cats, they don't react to, you know, punishing or pleasing for for rank status, as I said. So punishment actually makes a cat afraid. So, for instance, I have this case right now where this cat is biting this woman, you know. She says he's a real affectionate cat. He likes to cuddle. He's all that. But then all of a sudden, which is never the case, but all of a sudden, you know, she can just be sitting there and he'll haul off and and bite her. And so what she was doing was bopping him on the nose with a pencil or scruffing him and 
throwing him in a bathroom for a timeout. And so, you know, she described her cat as she said, now I'm reaching out to you because I'm scared of my cat. He's unpredictable and scary. And I'm like, well, you need to see that the way you're you're reacting to his behavior is unpredictable and scary. So the cat sees you as unpredictable and scary, and that's actually going to escalate his fear behavior, you know, and, and it just, it doesn't work. You know, that positive punishment is not only ineffective, but it's corrosive to the human cat bond. So positive reinforcement, you know, where we reward for behaviors we want to see more of is much more effective in cats. You know, the rule is to ignore unwanted behaviors, redirect destructive behaviors, you know, but you don't ever punish, don't no squirt bottles, no yelling, they know it all comes from you. And then you just become that big, scary, unpredictable thing. And and they begin to fear you, which isn't good. And, and there are other podcasts that we don't have time to get into today, how you modify those kinds of behaviors. And, and but I have a podcast specifically on punishment what works, what's effective, what's not, and why. And I have a podcast on scratching and destruction and how to redirect that energy into something more productive. Um, so, yeah, punishment's a, a crucial different area between dogs and cats and, and something people, you know, don't really know a lot about and useful for them to understand. Yeah, and I've listened to those podcasts, and they really are excellent for anybody that's got a problem like this. And now we've got all that taken care of. It comes down to what are they going to feed this cat? You know what? Mm-hmm. Then this is this is another big difference in dogs. I find people who own dogs and then they get a cat, they tend to feed the cats with the dogs like twice a day. You know, and those people, too, are the ones that like to mix the wet food and the dry food. I remember we used to do that with ginger, right? (laughs) Right. Right. We'd take the canned food and you'd mix it in with the dry food. And, you know, to us, we're going, oh, that looks much better because now it's got some crunch. And, you know, yet you've got the wet flavor. Well, totally different in cats. So (laughs) because... First of all, the frequency that a dog eats and a cat eats. So a dog eats meals. Dog, it's absolutely perfectly natural for a dog to have two meals a day. Um, But if you fed a cat two meals a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, that'd be the equivalent to us not eating, you know, for two to three days. So I always recommend that you feed a cat four times a day. And you need to feed it canned food, not dry food, and absolutely positively do not mix it with the dry food because cats are snackers and they're going to go and they're probably going to eat a little and, you know, they want little small portions. So if you're putting out a big portion two times a day, that wet food, you know, they're going to go away and they're going to come back and eat it later and it's going to have bacteria growing in it and it's, you know, it's it's going to smell bad and they're not going to eat right and so... Don't mix the canned food and the dry food. And in my opinion, don't feed dry food at all because it's full of carbs. And, you know, dogs can live off carbs. It's perfectly natural. Dogs can live off fruits and vegetables and carbs, carbs, but cats can't. Their nutritional needs are very different. Cats are obligate carnivores. Really, all they need are meat and water, but not just meat. And a lot of people hear that and go, well, I 
cook for my cat. I cook chicken breasts every night. And I'm like, yeah, but the problem is they're not getting complete nutrition with that. They need, you know, the nutrients that come from the bones and the organs of their prey as well. And then there's the whole subject of how do we keep the dogs out of the cat food, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything that's nice and smelly like that, yeah, the dogs that's, really love. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's your biggest challenge. So, you know, I always, if it's an older cat that can jump high enough, feed the cat on top of the dryer, you know. Um, if you have a front-loading washer, feed it on top of the washer. But enough, you know, up on a counter like that, washer, dryer. You can also feed the cat in a room with a, a gated entrance. You know, they make these uh, metal gates that have cat doors in them. They have people gates, you know. See, it's not like a baby gate you have to climb over, but it has a latch so the people can get through the gate easily. And there's a cat door, and the cats can get through the cat door, but the dogs can't get in that room. So you might consider putting the cat food and and potentially litter box in a room that the dogs can't access. Oh, I would imagine they feel even more secure that they've got their own little spot. Mm-hmm. And s- speaking of the litter boxes, do you have to train a cat or a kitten to use a litter box? Like you, you have to take it out for a walk two or three times a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. And a lot of people think that, you know, they, well, you know, we got to potty train a dog and, you know, no, you don't have to potty train a kitten. They are naturally drawn to litter boxes, you know, as long as they've got easy access. So if you've got a tiny kitten, you need to have a box with some low sides so they can get in it easily. Kittens tend to hold it. You know, you'll see like Pico playing. Pico will be playing, 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 and all of a sudden he'll jump up, run to the litter box (laughs) because... This is like little kids, you know, they're like, I'm having too much fun. I don't want to stop and go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have a kitten, you got to make that litter box accessible. And then you got to make the litter box attractive to cats, which again means, remember, we got to make this kind of like it would be in the wild for them. So you <laughs> need a sandy texture litter and they only need about two inches. They don't need the dig to China thing. You know, you don't, don't put four or five or six inches of litter in a box, just two inches and keep it clean. Cats are fastidious about their litter boxes. If they have to get in there and step on wet pee or poop places to go, they're going to find a cleaner place to go, like your carpeted closet, you know. <laughs> so so keep those litter boxes clean. I scoop mine two times a day, you know, both of them. We have one cat. We have two litter boxes. If you have two cats, you need three litter boxes. And they need to be located in a quiet area. Because they don't want to be like in the middle of a big dump and then have some big scary noise come along. So it's got to be a quiet area, but not a trapped area. And the box has to be uncovered. Don't get one of those lidded boxes. Not only does it increase the ammonia particles in the air, which can be dangerous to your cat, but it also makes them feel like they can be ambushed when they come out. And remember, they're both predator and prey, and they have a 96 DNA link, 96% DNA linkage to their wildcat ancestors. So they're thinking about being, you know, having predators around all the time. Not natural for them to go pee or poop in a, you know, covered place where they're trapped and there's only one entrance and exit. So put them in an area that's quiet, but not too small and and uh, and claustrophobic and then make sure that litter boxes are big enough they need to be one and a half times the size of the cat 
you know, and, and it's okay to have a giant box for a kitten. I do. You know, I I actually buy these puppy piddle pans. They're now making these plastic um, low-sided. They have, they're about four-inch sides, and then it scoops down even lower in the front, and people put piddle pads in them for their dogs to pee in. Well, I use that as a litter box for a kitten, and it's mm. huge. It's bigger than a normal litter box. And it's great for old cats or kittens. So, mm. yeah, you don't have to potty train, but you do have to be conscientious on how you're setting up that whole litter box thing. So we don't have to decorate it with flowers. We just have to make it attractive for them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and what about what about extra exercise? Do cats, you know, need that like dogs do? You know, we have to take them out on walks and... They recommend you walk them about a mile a day and, you know, play with a ball and do fetch to run off energy. How about cats? They Well, yes and no. So, you know, cats need exercise in different forms and for different reasons. So um, cats do enjoy harness and leash walks, you know, but not for exercise, for you know, that getting outside and mental stimulation and burning off some, they love to get out and explore. And if you have a kitten, start young, get them used to the harness and the leash and then let them explore outside and go places with you. We take our kitten in a stroller. He loves that. And that way he can walk along. And that's a great thing to do with the dogs because the cats aren't going to walk as fast or go as far. You know, they're built for very short bursts of energy, not long endurance you know, energy expenses. They're not like cheetahs. They, they, you know, they, they'll play for 10, 15 minutes and then they need a break. So they, they don't really have those high energy sessions for exercise. You do need to do prey play sessions every day. So in lieu of taking your cat out for a walk or letting it outside to pee, like you do your dog, You've got to pray play with it. And that's, you know, they make wand toys with mice and feathers and crinkle paper and stuff like that at the end. And you move it like prey and the cat stalks it, chases it, pounces on it and then bites it. And that whole process, that whole hunting sequence is very, very, very important to duplicate in a home environment for a cat. You can also, you know, clicker training your cat You with positive reinforcement. You can train your cat to fetch balls like dogs. You know, Pico's running around with his little um, crinkle ball in his mouth. And so when he brings it to me, I reward him for that. And I could put that on cue and, and have him fetch balls like dogs. So you can you can train your cat to interact in ways like that. But environmental enrichment is very, very important for a cat. You know, they they get their exercise and stuff by going to high places. So having shelving systems and really high places that they can they can get to, especially if you have dogs in the home. Cats like to sit up above our head height, and that's their safe zone. You know, don't touch the cat when he's in his safe zone. Let him go there when he wants to feel like he has a timeout. You know, you can build a cat super highway. I had a, a client once that, that had a new cat, and the cat was just terrified of the dogs. And she was having a real hard time getting the cat acclimated to her dogs. And so um, 
she built a, a system where the cats could go up and then the shelving went out into the other rooms so the cat could get used to coming out in the living room but be in a high safe spot and she ended up putting them all over her house and the cat's totally acclimated and everything is great now and they also need tall scratching posts really tall because they've got to be you know when the cat's an adult that scratching post has to be able to give that cat a full on stretch when they're reaching up to scratch mm. i can imagine the cat superhighway you know getting an engineer and an architect <laughs> so, well she was asking specifically about finding a cat with these you know calm cuddly behaviors mm-hmm. and i would imagine that trying to pick a cat like that uh just to begin with is going to be the hardest task yeah, you know, I, I think um, I think in a you know one route obviously is to get a kitten that can adapt to the loud environment, you know, and I think in this case that's probably going to be better than asking an adult cat to adapt to so much change. But it's not impossible. Like I said, some people are fostering, you know, have a foster environment with a bunch of dogs and kids and loud and you know stuff going on, busy family. And so as long as you find a cat that's been fostered and comfortable and exhibiting those calm, cuddly, friendly, you know, confident behaviors in that environment, then by all means get a cat. Um, but, you know, there's so many things that affect a cat's behavior. First of all, behavior is inherited from the kitten's ancestors. So if you get a kitten that comes from a long line of feral cats, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be as trusting or social as one that comes from a long line of pets. You know, mm-hmm. also sometimes breeders' kittens, you know, can tend to not be as social as cats, you know, that are, you know, from shelters or things like that, because mostly because if a breeder's got multiple litters going on at the same time, they don't have enough hours in the day to socialize, you know, all the kittens that they have. The kittens do great, you know, with each other. And those kittens are typically, you know, better if you have another cat in a home. But, you know, and and there's some breeders that just breed one litter at a time and and have environments, again, similar to to this. So that's a possibility. Um, You know, and then we talked about the behavior developmenting in that three to seven weeks of age. So you kind of want to know where was that kitten and what was going on in his life during that period, if you can, you know. So, you know, again, if that cat, that kitten was in a quiet household only interacting with one person during that time, it's not going to do well in their active home. You know, and shelters obviously are, because shelter euthanasia is still the number one cause of death in cats, the shelters are a great place to go and adopt a cat. But it's really important that you interact with the cat. We have a lot of people that adopt window shop and go, well, I'll take that one because it's pretty and and or it came up to the kennel. But, you know, you need to bring all your kids. Don't need to bring the dogs, but bring the kids and get in a meet and greet room and interact with that cat so that, you know, you know that you're getting the right cat for you. Probably the best thing for her to do in this case is to call a, a rescue group and, you know, find a kitten or cat in their inventory that's that's being fostered in an environment that's similar to the home setting that they have. Mm-hmm. That makes all kinds of sense. It really does. And, when, well, think about some other things. The first-time cat owner would uh, want to know before they go out and adopt a new kitten or cat. 
that's a long list, you know. They're probably, so I've got eight podcasts I recommend them listening to. So write this down, people, if you, these are important to you. The first one would be uh, 10 things you need before bringing home a new cat, what to feed your cat, how to bond with your cat, punishment, what works and what doesn't, what stresses out cats, 34 things you do your cat hates, <laughs> pray play, what, what it is and how to do it, and dysfunctional beliefs about cats. And that's an important one, especially for dog owners. But um, and, and if you didn't have time to write all that down, just email me and I'll send you links to these because sometimes it's hard to find specific podcasts in our library. We have so many episodes. I mean, this is our 77th episode. Wow. So a lot of times it's easier if people just email me and go, send me the direct link to the 34 things you do your cat hates or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, Molly, you, you just provide so much information to people, not only in podcasts like this, but you have a blog on your site, catbehaviorsolutions.org. Mm-hmm. And you post on Instagram and Facebook with really good tidbits. So... Everybody out there, be sure to follow Cat Behavior Solutions on Instagram, like it on Facebook, and share it with your friends so that they can get the good cat info too. And people like this lady that got in touch with Molly about the new cat will have the information they need before they venture out into the cat world. (laughs) Yeah, that's the point is trying to get the information out there before behavior problems happen. I mean, a lot of the resources are, okay, we've already got behavior problems for one reason or another. How do we modify them? But if you can provide the right environment from the beginning, then you tend not to have as many behavior problems. And so if you've learned something from one of our podcasts, consider sending us a gratuity donation. You know, any amount helps to keep us on the air. It's a free podcast for you. We don't ask for subscriptions. So show us some love in return and send us a tip. Any amount helps because it's not, it's not free for us to put this on. We host on the Voice America platform. We love our Voice America partners. And, um, and while they make us an, an exceptional deal, it's, it's not free for us to be bringing this information to you. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit that's goal is to keep this information flowing because as long as shelter euthanasia is the number one cause of death in cats, we're going to be here pumping this information out. So, oh. and you know, that's because behavior problems are why people surrender cats to the shelter in the first place. Wow. So, well, this has been so valuable, Molly. And it's been fun being with you. Yes, that's great. I love it when you're in town and we can do this together. <laughs> so, everybody, thanks for tuning in today. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.